0: all right hello welcome to the be incandescent health and wellness show i'm hope Katz gibbs creator of incandescent we're so excited to be here on facebook live friday february 5th with greg jabara he is an actor one of the stars of cbs's blue bloods a show that i've been serial watching for a really long time and he is an old childhood friend of mine i met Greg, when he was a summer camp counselor at Camp Kiba in the picturesque Poconos, Uh, I attended camp from 10 to 20 and Greg was there uh, a respite, a summer respite from Juilliard. So we definitely got some good, good actors come and teach us camp kids. So Greg, welcome to the show.
1: Hi Hope, thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure, all right. You have been like an award-winning actor for decades. Um, You are on CBS's Blue Bloods. Which, you know, you started in season one, I think. Is that right?
1: Yes. Toward the end of season one. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Tom Selleck's like, buddy, you uh, you actually play a publicist on TV and I am a publicist in real life. (laughs) So that's kind of...
1: You're going to give me notes later, right?
0: <laughs> well, I think you can give me some. <laughs> so yeah, all right. So let's start in the beginning. You've been on the in Broadway shows, on TV, and feature films, uh, just a, a remarkable, a remarkable career. So tell us about your career now, and then I'm going to take you backwards.
1: Well, the 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 Blue Bloods thing, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm one of the, I've sort of had the dream trajectory, you know, years and years of... A theater, and then you suddenly get some recognition, and then suddenly an offer comes to do a television show. That originally, um, when 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 Blue Bloods came was announced that it was going to be in production in New York City, I was doing Billy Elliot on Broadway at the time and had just garnered a lot of recognition for the entire show. Had but it was very high profile, um, and and Tom Selleck and I first met 25 years ago shooting the movie in and out and when we were wrapping up that film he had said to me he goes you know you're funny and you're really talented and i have a production company and we'll definitely be working together again one day and you know, that was just good for the ego, just to have Magnum PI say, hey, man, you're the thing. And as a rule in this industry, people almost always, if they're positive experiences, you know, they always, on the on the way out the door, they go, hey, we'll definitely find something to do again. And, and I think everybody sincerely means it. Um, but, you know, out of sight, out of mind, uh, everybody has other projects. But if everybody who had said, you know, had offered kindness like that at the end of a job, had really offered me another job, I would you know, I would never be unemployed. But <clears throat> the fact is, Blue Bloods is the third TV job that Tom Selleck has given me. Uh, he was, they were recasting an actor in a sitcom that he and Ed Asner and Penelope and Miller and David Crumholtz were starring in called The Closer. And it was about an advertising agency. Uh, and they had a guest star who didn't work out on his first day. And at the end of the first day, they brought in a handful of actors to quickly replace this actor. And I was one of those five. And Tom was in the room and it was the first time I'd seen him in person since we had done uh, in and out together in New York. So uh, he, he ended up hiring me. He, he was, you know, he was one of the stars of the show and he was in the room for the audition. So obviously he had an opinion about Uh, the casting. But I got that. He gave me that job. And then we did another single camera comedy called Touch Em All McCall uh, that uh, Jay Tarsis wrote, uh, father of the late Jamie Tarsis, who sadly recently passed away, um, who was an ABC head. And that was just a pilot. I had a, a recurring character on that. We only shot the pilot and never got picked up. And then They announced that Tom Selleck's going to be in this big new cop show that's coming to New York and I'm thinking oh I'll definitely get at least a guest star role on this if it's Tom's show. So you know it's the summer of 2010 and they're starting casting and early casting for the, the they start shooting in July and I think I auditioned for three different characters, three different episodes. Never once was Tom in the room Uh, There'd be the casting directors, whoever was directing that episode and the writer of that episode, but Tom was never there and they were fine auditions. I mean, they really were, uh, but um, none of them came to fruition. And I thought, oh, the honeymoon's over, you know, either either the casting director didn't make that extra, you know, hey, by the way, this is Tom Selleck's friend or, you know, whatever. And I thought, okay. And then it came toward the end of season one and my agent calls and says, uh, apparently there's this character that Tom Selleck wants you to play on the show. Uh, it's just two episodes. It's the second and third, the last episode of the season. Uh, but you're requested. But the producers were wondering if you wouldn't mind coming in tomorrow and just, you know, doing a reading for them. And I'm I'm the first guy to do a dog and pony show, especially for creative people who I don't personally know. Cause I think um, being in the room and pressing flesh and showing the people who you're gonna work with that you're somebody they wanna work with uh, is more important than anything really uh, in, in getting a job. So I was, I, you bet I would go, but unfortunately not only did I have a cold and was I doing eight shows a week on Broadway uh, the next day was the day we were doing a put-in rehearsal for one of our new Billys. And it would be his first time, go, his Broadway debut that night. And uh, the father, the character I played, and Billy spend a lot of time on stage together. And it's uh, very emotionally charged, and it's very physically complex. There's a lot of uh, combat and uh, a lot of safety issues. And it's important. It was important for me to be there for that Billy for his Broadway debut just for his own peace of mind and know that I was there supporting him. So I had said, I, I I can come in the next day and read for you guys, but I can't come tomorrow. I I have to be at this rehearsal and I'm sick. So I sound horrible. So they, and I also said, plus you have me on tape for like three other characters that I read for, for your show. So your casting office can find, you know, some uh, B B roll on me. Um, if they need to see whether I know how to act in front of a camera or not. So uh, I didn't end up going in. And then the end of the next day, the call came. They said, okay, you're hired. Mm -hmm. And it was because Tom wanted me in the role. And then uh, at the end of the second day of the second episode, we were shooting Kevin Wade, our executive producer, uh, was sitting down next to me at a table in Bermonti's Italian, which is out here in Williamsburg, which is where our, the commissioner and the deputy commissioner used to do a lot of end of rough day cocktails at the bar at Bamondi's Italian, which is a real restaurant. Kevin sat down next to me and he goes, are you having fun on this? And I'm thinking, Oh no, I'm going to get the pink slip. I said, well, am I, am I, do I come off like Debbie Downer? I said, this is a blast. This is so much. He goes, no, 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 you're great. We love you. We just want to know if you'd be willing to like, can we keep writing for you? I went, Yes, please. Yes. Thank you. And then, you know, it was, I I dovetailed for a while doing eight shows a week and shooting the occasional episode of blue bloods. And then uh, Billy Elliot came to an end and I moved back to Los Angeles, which is where my home is, which is where home is. And then they would fly me back. And I, I think I did maybe eight episodes the first, the, the season two, and then a few more the following season. And I think by the, Third or fourth season, I was pretty much in all episodes produced. And it started as a, as a two-episode a two arc. And uh, gratefully, miraculously, Tom Selleck likes working with me. And, and I love working for him on many different levels. Job security, being able to you know, feed my family, uh, being in a really cool TV show. And also having the confidence of of someone as established as himself, uh, it's you know, uh, it kind of checks all the boxes for feeling good about yourself as an artist and and grateful to be you know a a, a working actor, especially in New York right now, where I I, I call it uh, survival guilt because the the Broadway community has just been you know devastated because of the pandemic and I just think of how lucky I was that I was already on this show when this pandemic hit and that CBS and our union worked so hard to figure out a way to allow us to go back to work safely. Um, And uh, because they're really, until uh, until it's safe to put 100% butts in the seats in a Broadway house, I just don't know how uh, the theater world is going to be able to rebound. Um, because those shows were not produced or conceived with the idea that, oh, we're just gonna play it at 10% and we're gonna have to spend a million dollars a year on testing and tracing and you know, all the other medical things. So it's until a pandemic comes back, uh, sadly, the theater community, but all these great Broadway actors that normally were not available are suddenly available to work on our show. We've got Lauren Witten, who's a Tony nominee, uh, from Jagged Little Pill. She's a recurring character. She plays uh, Vanessa Ray's uh, partner in, in their precinct. And, oh, I don't know if I can give this away. Christopher Sieber is guesting on our show. Uh, amazing, phenomenal, multi-nominated, Tony-nominated uh, Broadway star. Uh, but there, we, you know, B.B. Newworth, there's just so many great actors now that they're, they're not doing a show. So they're able, they're available to be on our show, which is really pretty great.
0: It's so cool. And so, you know, what I'm thrilled about is you're going to be the March cover story for my for our Be Incandescent Health and Wellness magazine. And the theme is living the life of your dreams. And what you just described just sounds like not just an actor's dream, but a professional's dream where you're actually doing the thing that you set out to do. So I have a million questions. Um, Let's just stick with this last period of time. So what season is Blue Bloods in right now?
1: We're in season 11.
0: 11, right?
1: 11, <laughs> 11 years. 11 yeah. years of employment.
0: Right. And I've been watching it on on CBS on streaming. So I got to the last season where Tom Selleck asks you and the other two other main characters if you're happy in the job. And you can tell when you watch the two of the chemistry between the two of you that you're buddies, right? From go. Because, you know, that first season, you weren't in, a, in those initial episodes. But then you showed up and I was like, they seem like they've been friends forever. So it's it's not surprising to see that you have been. Um, so let's talk about the health and wellness aspect. Let's just get that out of the way. So you were a bit heavier when you started in these seasons a decade ago. And, now, incredibly, heavier. Right? and now you're incredibly trim and fit. You look fabulous in those suits they have you in. <laughs> Thank you. So tell us about that journey.
1: Well, let's see, there's, um, there's fulvic, humic, uh mineral water that i have every day today there's a 3 day rotation of amla uh, today's amla powder amla it's one i do amla one day i do spirulina another day i do horsetail tea um it's it's an it's lifestyle change it is um not going out every night uh cuz when i first was doing the show and commuting the tv show you know, I was going, I was out every night. I didn't have to worry about saving my voice. I didn't have to worry about, uh, really what I looked like or, or I wasn't doing eight shows a week. It was really easy to get up, you know, sleep deprived and, and do your job as a TV actor. And it just promoted just horrible dining and, 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 and healthcare habits. So it was just time for me to turn it around. There literally was, um, well, it was a series of things. A couple a couple of big gooses were unsolicited advice. I was standing in line at the organic grocer and by, by our house in in Los Angeles, and I'm listening to this woman behind me talk about how she took her husband off all red meat and dairy and inflammatory oils, and it just changed his life, his blood pressure, blah, his health, his weight just dropped off, and blah blah. And I'm standing there with a like a a, a quart a, a quart of um, whole raw. Uh, organic milk uh, for our son. That's how he eats his cereal, our youngest son. And um, and I'm listening and going, wow, this is interesting because I'm sort of like <clears throat> becoming aware. Another, a fan of the show. A fan of the show wrote me and said he was concerned about how it was looking uh, at the beginning of season 11, 10. Maybe it might have been beginning of season eight. It might have been the, the series premiere. He wrote and just said, I hope I'm not stepping on toes, but I just want to tell you about the success I had with changing the way I ate and took took care of myself and realized how much my family was worried for my welfare and nobody was saying anything and the changes I made and then there's this lady behind me in line going that's interesting that this just yesterday I got an email about a guy who's worried about how I look and then I turned to listen to who this lady's talking to and she's talking to me I don't even know her she's talking to the back of my head <laughs> sharing looking at my red face my obesity and standing there with my you know quart of whole raw milk and talking to me about the benefits of eliminating dairy and red meat and all and it was just like okay okay i hear you fine uh and then um dear friends passed and i realized that you know a lot of people don't have the luxury of having a healthy vessel to take care of they are they're constantly combating issues and how selfish it was of me to be killing myself, basically, not respecting, not respecting myself. And so my whole family, my wife, my kids, we hired a nutritionist, everybody got on board. And my youngest son even said, and not to throw the gauntlet down, he just goes, dad, I just not sure you're going to be able to do it. And it was like, I love that boy for his candor, brutal as it is, but it also motivated me. And here we are going into my third year of, of successful lifestyle change. And oh, sure, I miss martinis. And yes, I miss, you know, quarterhouse steaks and things like that. But um, the benefits, the immediate benefits of how I feel and how I look and feel about myself, uh, the, the change was so immediate that it was not difficult to stay the course. And I had a family that was doing it with me. My wife lost over 40 pounds. Our oldest son lost as much weight as I did. Uh, And he's 6'4". So he went from looking like a football player to a matinee idol. Uh, And he had actually done it. He was another motivator of mine, a bit of a North star. He, He, in 11th grade maybe, he just got tired of how he looked and asked if he could hire a trainer and change his appearance for himself. And I'm watching what he did and the hard work that went into changing how he looked. And that was before we had the nutritionist. And I thought, man, what kind of role model am I? I'm just a sloth here while my kids showing me the way. So there were there were there was a lot of great motivation and support uh, that helps. And then now, you know, uh, with because of COVID, I'm living in an apartment, not in the the addition hotel, which is really swank and had some of the sickest, most amazing food in room service. I now control everything that goes in my mouth. So I'm, you know, the Amazon Prime Home Delivery, organic food on a regular basis, all my probiotics and many different probiotics. Uh, but it's, um, it's easy to do because um, now all my fat clothes are gone. So I, I can't afford to gain weight back because I won't be able to fit my clothes. So that's my motivator.
0: Well, it sounds like you have a lot of good motivators and that the universe was definitely speaking to you. And we're glad that you will, you know, have a longer life, hopefully, because of your shift in. And, you know, that made international news. I was doing some research. I was like, wow, this, this is almost bigger than your entire career.
1: Yeah, it is interesting. Because, like, after the first... I started, in, I started on my birthday. I was going to lose 58 pounds on my 58th birthday. 57 pounds on my 57th birthday. That's what I was going to do. Ended up losing 85 pounds. But that was September. And then when I returned from the holiday break, everybody's going, holy crap, Greg, you've lost like 40, 50 pounds already. I went, I know. And they went, this is very obvious. Uh, we have to address it in the show. And our executive producer said to me, Kevin Wade, says, we've got a show already in the pipeline about obesity in the department. Can we rewrite it to shine a spotlight on your personal success as being Garrett's success and and coloring his opinion about weight loss and all that kind of stuff? And I went, yes, please do. And Tom Selleck was saying that it was important. We do address it on the show because people are going to draw their own conclusions. And, you know, um, a lot of people are seeing me 85 pounds heavier during the summer in syndication. And then suddenly I come and I'm, I I look like I have cancer by contrast. And a lot of people's life experiences in seeing this kind of weight loss and what appears to be so abrupt is illness. So people were just jumping to conclusion that it had to be illness related, that he had, that I had cancer, that I had AIDS, that I was diabetic, that, um, Oh, and we, and people uh, there, if you Google Greg Jabara weight loss, it takes you to an article where an advocate organization for uh, bariatric surgery, gastric bypass, uh, wanted our show to apologize for showing gastric bypass in a negative light. When, which I understand they, the desire to want not you know, not make that kind of procedure as being something negative. Because it's not, it's a phenomenal option for people who need that extra help to get jump-started on on weight loss, especially if it's life-threatening. But um, our writers are going, these people not know this is fictional. And that, you know, these are two fictional characters who are strong-arming the president of the police union who, you know, used bariatric surgery way back when to lose weight. And he hypocritically is saying, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, we weren't showing it in a negative light. We were using it as a, but anyway, I don't think they ended up sending them an apology, but they did. I know that Kevin must've responded in some way and said, you know, we appreciate your concern, but please know that was not our intention, but you Google and then you see bare, uh, uh, gastric bypass. So then people just assume, and that's the other problem with the internet. Humans don't know, humans haven't yet learned how to dot the I's and cross the T's on information that comes to them through the internet. Because they'll see the headline and they just go, oh, Greg Jabbar had gastric bypass surgery. And they don't read the article. They don't even know what the article is about. But because they search it, that's the first thing that comes up. They just draw that conclusion. So there's a lot of misinformation about the, the hard work and discipline and big time lifestyle change, but it wasn't, bariatric, I didn't have gastric bypass surgery. I just changed what I put in my mouth.
0: And um, that is the first article that came up when I searched. Yeah. So I'm glad that you have the opportunity yeah. to clarify um, and talk about the importance of having a healthy lifestyle, not just yeah. for because you look better, but because it makes you feel better and tend to live longer. So especially in this era of COVID when people are really struggling, and oh, yeah. that's a go-to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If I were to contract it with, you know, 85 more pounds on me. Yeah. I'm very grateful. Yeah. And and I, you know, you consume a lot of really great foods. It's also an education, you know, changing your relationship with food and and understanding food and what it does and how it works and the logic behind why you should and should not eat certain things. Um, Our, our nutritionist, Lily Padilla, Uh, And she's at www.lilypadilla.com. You know, she goes, we we had to send her all of our physical, from our physicals, our blood work, everything. And she literally crafted each family member's um, regimen based on our individuality. We're not, none of the four of us. We all had different goals. We all had different bodies and different ways of dealing with different types of foods. And she, you know, tailored it all specifically to us. So um, it's not like, you know, one size fits all. It did require and does require a lot of constant, you know, um, uh, education, staying on top of what's what's available. And then also just coming up with new recipes to keep things interesting because you can only eat, you know, um, anti-inflammatory soup stew with, you know, a splash of coconut yogurt and, daikon radish maybe two times a week without adding some other flourish to it you know so um yeah it's also about variety and change and and also allowing yourself the occasional cheat day those are welcome when they come along um but yeah like today three i'm staring at three liquids here in front of me which is kind of my daily life
0: it's very impressive. It's the um, the discipline to do it, and also I, I loved how you said earlier on that it was about self love, loving yourself, respecting yourself, and your vessel that you're here with. We talk a lot about that in the articles on be Incandescent Health and Wellness magazine because you know it's not just about what's on the outside. It's very much on the inside. Ayurveda is a beautiful Indian ancient Indian practice that does exactly what you said, depending on your dosha, what your body type is. You know, and nutritionists are spectacular about catering to that. But so thank you for talking about that. That, that was really wonderful. I want to talk also about your career. So this is the issue where we're talking about living the life of your dreams, right? Even when you're challenged, we said right before we went on live that. Um, so I want to clarify you're there shooting blue bloods and they put you up in this place in New York. So you're in Brooklyn. So that's why you're in this, this place and and home is with your,
1: your three kids and your wife in Los Angeles, which is yeah. We, we well, my wife has three kids. We have two boys. Okay. My wife has three boys: me and Zach and Aiden. But yeah, we live in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Sorry. Our,
1: our oldest is actually away in college, uh, in Prescott, Arizona, studying to be a commercial pilot, and then our youngest is in 11th grade at uh, Pally High. But you know, he's he's home. It's all virtual.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's all ultra virtual, yeah. which is yeah. good. And like yeah. the silver linings, right? So it's,
1: take
0: us back. So yeah, you we, didn't you didn't grow up in California. You take us back to the beginning when you were a little kid in Michigan. And did you dream of being an actor when you grew up? Was that your goal? Go back to the beginning and take us along for the ride. You
1: know, well, I grew up, I went, I w- I grew up in Westland, Michigan, which was named after a shopping mall that was the West satellite mall for Hudson's department store in Detroit, and they built Northland, Eastland, Southland, and Westland malls. And then they zoned the area in Nankin Township around Westland Mall. They called it the city of Westland. And so I grew up, it's kind of, a, it says a lot about the era that I came from. I was born in 61 uh, and um, in the, in the heyday of shopping malls and the baby boomers and uh, where people were happy to pay taxes for great public school systems. And I went to a public school system that offered everything. We're talking everything you could possibly want to explore. It was available to you. I, I don't know how I got selected to be part of the gifted program for the, during the summer, like of, for between fourth and fifth grade or fifth and sixth was the first year. We ended up burning a hole in the blacktop in an attempt to make our own gunpowder, which we were allowed to do, then back then you could you could get saltpeter, sulfur, charcoal powder, and make gunpowder. Um, you know, through your school science department. Uh, a little terrifying, but true. Um, but but in you know we had we had the band. I was, there was band. There was choir. There was student government. There was every possible academic, science, media discipline. I was. I learned photography while I would, thanks to Mr. Marmon uh, and I was, a, I was a media nerd. You know, I was the kid that would jump out of class and get the cart that would bring the slide projector or the film projector and knew how to run them all in, even in elementary school. And then, um, and I was in everything. I, I, I was in everything. I played sports through ninth grade, JV, everything, never made varsity in, in junior high, but then Broke my thumb in like cu- first couple of weeks of football practice. I uh, had to wear a cast audition for the fall play and kind of went, okay, I'm done with sports. And then went to a high school where, you know, in junior high, we were going to see the high school productions uh, they do a special daytime performance. All the junior highs were going. I remember going, Oh, I want to do that one day because they were amazing, amazing productions. Uh, you know, full fly loft, complete, you know, all the, Tams, Wetmark, whoever does the, you know, the the Broadway theatrical rentals where the drops are all rented. It's, it was like big time, all the original costumes, you know. Uh, So I did, I did all the shows. I was in all, we had a television studio in my high school. We had a radio station. We had a a 60 member male chorus. In addition to the vocal ensemble, uh, we had jazz ensembles and instrumental. I mean, there was, it was there. And I was in I was a percussionist in orchestra, a trombonist and a tuba player in orchestra, marching band president. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I got to do everything and, and loved it. And then it was time for college and it was like, well, I'm gonna go to the University of Michigan because that's where my sister went and that's where everybody either go to Michigan or Michigan State. And back then it was affordable, like 2,400 bucks for the year, for everything. You know, we're talking your room board and tuition as an in-state student, you know, this is 79. And I was gonna be a theater major. And my parents said, no, you are not gonna be a theater major. Uh, we want you to have some a degree where you can feed yourself. So we're not, you're not living here at home when you're out of college. So how about a minor in physics and a major in communications? And you can learn how to produce television. They have that public access station there. It was U of M W-U-O-M maybe. Uh, And I did, I I got a apprenticeship there. I was working there, but I started auditioning for everything. Once I was school started and they had the soft show, the sophomore directed, produced, designed everything by the sophomore students, non-departmental. It wasn't part of the theater program at the university. And it was directed by Oliver Goldstick, who's now one of the premier showrunners of dramatic television today. Uh, Douglas Sills was Vittorio Vidal in this production of Sweet Charity, he's a Tony nominated Broadway star. Beth Holmes is like one of the most prominent casting directors in Los Angeles. She was Charity Hope Valentine. Uh, The choreographers Sue Addison and Michelle Melkerson went on to uh, found Impact Jazz Dance Company and they asked me to be their male counterpart in that, so the three of us founded a dance company that's still in existence today, how many decades later. And then uh, I realized, you know, all the, in my, you know, physics 101 courses, that my fellow classmates were doing in their head right then on the spot, what required hours of studying for me to do every single night. And it didn't take long to go, oh, there's a whole other caliber of rocket scientist here and although I love blowing stuff up, like I did in high school physics, um, it's a, it's a whole other thing. And, and it's not really speaking to me and it's hard and I'm not enjoying it and I don't care enough about it, but I really like auditioning and being in shows. So I changed my major, my parents hung their head. Um, and, um, I became a member of the theater program, uh, in the school of literature, science and arts at Michigan. And then, uh, Connie Barron, Dean Boylan, who was a Dean of the School of Music at the time, wanted to start a musical theater program. And he got Connie Barron, who is a PhD voice major, to round up some kids that might be interested in making this happen. And I was a part of, along with Linda Goodrich, who I grew up with in the Wayne Westline Schools. And she's now, she might be on sabbatical, but she's like the professor of dance at the musical theater program, excuse me, at Michigan. Uh, still to this day but um we we were there are like 10 of us and we founded the musical theater program which is now one of the most prominent training uh curriculums in, in the country for musical theater and it's now under the school of music and wow. excuse me that was a truck that wasn't me burping um, <laughs> the uh the, I ended up getting accepted into this new musical theater program and auditioned for it. They got me in. They said, yeah, okay, you founded it. And now you're in it. We're starting, but you're going to, it's going to take you two or three more years to get all the remaining um, school of music credits required to get your degree, your bachelor of fine arts degree in musical theater. And I'm going, what? I'm already three years going You know, into my third year. I don't want to do another two or three years to get it. And my, teachers in the theater department because I was doing all the summer rep seasons. I was doing the plays. I was the musicals. I was doing everything at the university. And my teacher said, you know, you need to go to a better program. You need to go somewhere that's going to challenge you more. And Sharon Jensen was a a, a, a colleague of Connie Barron's at Michigan. Sharon was the president of what was then the league of professional theater training schools. And she, um, she got on the phone with me on Connie's behest to talk to me about the league of training programs that included Yale, Juilliard, NYU, Southern Methodist, ACT, University of Washington. Uh, there were a bunch of them. Great, great conservatories or you know, conservatory-like training programs inside of universities. And what I the conclusion I came to was if I'm gonna leave Michigan, I should go to New York. Because that's where the work is. and if you get into a training program in New York, your last couple of years of public performance there will be open to the public and you can start basically, you know um, showing the industry what you're capable of before you're really available to start working. And uh, I lucked out. I got I auditioned for the Juilliard School, the only weekend I was free from, Either my cook job at Mountain Jacks or the non-union tour of Sing America, which I was doing that was touring around the Great Lakes, singing the history of, of the founding of the United States of America, that weekend that they were, they were auditioning in San Francisco. So I flew myself to San Francisco and auditioned there. And long story short, going to San Francisco instead of Chicago or New York, and it, it just showed them that I was very serious about this, that it wasn't just an act of convenience, that I had passion about it. And you know, those auditions, it's like, everybody gets like five minutes. You do two contrasting pieces, something contemporary, something classical, two minutes each, you're in and out. And I was in there for like, I ended up being there for like 45 minutes. We did a lot of improv work. I came out of that audition going, feeling completely validated, like I was on the right path, that these people also thought there was something special, worth pursuing, worth nurturing here. It turns out our uh, dialect Uh, Teacher, uh, not uh, she's a speech teacher, Liz Smith, who I've worked with. She actually worked with her on *Midsummer Night's Dream*, the movie, the Michael Hoffman film, after we were out of school. But she said, "Greg, when I heard that horrible Michigan nasality," she goes, "I thought, oh my dear, there's no hope for this poor child." And then she said, "Then she then I sang," and she goes, "And then I had this tonal production that when I sing that." wasn't at all like my Michigan name. She goes, oh, then maybe there's something we can do with this child. And she just loved the challenge. Uh, But um, it turns out Joe Erla actor, if you Google Joe Erla, U-R-L-A, we are also at Michigan together. He also auditioned at Juilliard and at Yale. He got accepted into both. He turned down his spot at Juilliard to go to Yale because he wanted to go somewhere that had dorm. And um, I originally got waitlisted. I did not get accepted. And then when Joe, we found out after the fact, way after the fact, when Joe Earle turned down his spot, I got in. So my pal, who I worked with in several productions at the University of Michigan, was looking out for me. So there's like this mafia. I call it the Michigan Mafia. Sharon Jensen, Jensen at the top with the president of the league, but there were a lot of really great people at Michigan that were that really. Look out for each other and help, you know, people achieve their best if they're, you know, passionate about it. That's a long journey.
0: It's a very cool <laughs> journey. It's great to hear how pieces fit together and how one thing impacts the other. Right? Again, the universe kind of speaking. Um, so tell us a couple more questions. What would you advise someone who has a passion for becoming an actor? What what path would you encourage them to take?
1: Well, you should be doing everything that involves performing arts all the time. Wanting to be an, dreaming to be an actor, isn't having a waiting job, a waitering job and, and not taking classes and just kind of, and hoping somehow you're going to get representation and be discovered. It, it, it it is a highly competitive industry that I still believe ultimately the the decision-making, the hiring comes down to human qualities as opposed to talent. I believe people go, oh we're going to work on this movie for three months who do I want to be trapped in you know in the site in Siberia with for three months uh, I know that my audition for B- Billy Elliot was more about uh, the director Stephen Daldry and Julian Weber the assistant director deciding whether I had the temperament to be the patriarch of the cast uh, and also the temperament to, Understand that you're working with 20 some kids on stage and it's going to require a lot of deep breaths and a lot of patience and know me first thing, you know. Uh, and I know that that was a big part of why I ended up getting hired uh, among other things. But how I ended up getting Billy Elliot was really came down to them because I hadn't worked with any of them before. Um, Jack O'Brien has hired me several times since because, you know, we, we just laugh. Uh, Selleck, one of my more prolific employers, my late brother, uh, Dan Javara, was a television producer. And still to this day, I think he's probably my most prolific employer. He would always hire me to do all the uh, announcer voiceovers for all of his, um, for Ripley's, believe it or not, and action TV and uh, the Greg Barrett show, anything that he was producing, he would just go, Oh, and Greg Javara is going to be our announcer. And so I always had a, 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 what I call my waiter job. I was always knowing that I was gonna be able to make just enough money on a union voiceover job because my brother was looking out for his his uh, brother and his nephews. Uh, we'll I'm just... sorry for
0: your loss. Uh,
1: thank you, thank you. What 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 was the question?
0: <laughs> so if you wanna be an actor, so you gotta just keep at it.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, it, it needs to be the thing that literally You have to do all day, every day. It's got to be the thing, not that you'd like, that that sounds good. Something you've had enough, you need to have had, be immersed in it all the time. Like I was immersed in performing arts from, from being an altar boy, you know, uh, at at third grade, I was up in front of people and realized that, and reading from scripture, you know, cold reading, getting very practical experience. So, you know, there are some people, oh, I was never in a school play, but the idea of being an actor sounds like fun. Well, it's not. The idea, the idea is great, but it's, it's hard. And you really need to have uh, a real honest opinion of your abilities and um, know, know how to get yourself seen and meet people. And, and that comes with, you know, always, uh, I haven't of late, because the last 10 years I've been, but if I'm in New York and I have an audition on one of those, one of those studio lots, I'll still take postcards and then hit, the casting offices and drop a postcard there at at all the other casting offices just to go, hi, I'm here. I know you thought I was in New York. I'm here and available for work because I have great agents. I have great agents, but the casting directors are human beings too. And they, um, they, they love, they're lonely. They, they want to know that an actor feels comfortable enough to come and say hi and just pop their head in. And, and it makes all the difference in the world. It's, it's sales, it is sales. You wanna be successful as an actor, you have to figure out how to be a really good salesman and not obnoxious, just um, persistent.
0: Yeah, that sounds like great advice sort of in, in any in any profession that you want. You did And yeah. knowing yourself, loving yourself, right? So that brings me to my next question. How would you advise others to live the life of their dreams?
1: I, I had the privilege of of speaking after, uh, at my high school commencement in 2009, I think it was. And the crux of my speech was the greatest um, tribute you can do for the people who raised you, nurtured you, loved you, gave birth to you, care about you, is to take the time to figure out what it is that makes you wanna wake up in the morning and then pursue that thing with your whole being. Uh, the, the thing that really makes you happy, not makes other people happy, but what's the thing that really makes you happy? Because that's the only thing you're going to know. No one else can really tell you that. And you owe it to yourself and you owe it to everyone that cares about you to, to invest that kind of time to really figure that out. And, and then you'll, and if you find the thing that makes you happy, that really makes you want to get up in the morning, then everything falls into place. and, and the universe is better and, and your soul is happy and, 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 and no one worries about you, you know? Um, and, and so you, 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 it's sort of, you know, the privilege of being on this planet is you really owe it to the community of the world to take the time to figure out what it is that makes you happy and then go, I deserve that and go after it because uh, you'll, they'll, everybody will be healthier because of it.
0: And if only everyone did that. In fact, um, Incandescent is publishing a remarkable n- number of books in 21, um, including one by a woman, amazing woman in DC who owns Case Management Consulting. And in 2015, after her dad passed away, um, she, he encouraged her to live the life of her dreams. And so she came, we, we interviewed her for our Black Lives Matter radio show, and now she's uh, hired us to publish and help, help her write, uh, Start Before You're Ready. And the message is exactly that, right? That you have to know what you are, what, what your life that you want looks like. So you're a great testament to having done that intuitively.
1: I, I've, I've stumbled into it, you know, uh, and, and you know, it also will change. You know, for, for me, it's, you know, it's always been really, thankfully the industry keeps going, oh, here, here's your next, here's the next phase of your career. So that you can also be a husband and a father and a home builder. You know, it's like, that's the dream stuff for me. I, You know, I, I, just the fact that I, I get to be a dad is a, is a gift, but that I can afford to be a dad because of this entertainment industry that I just happened to always, I just did it. I was always performing my whole life. So I can't, I just, I lucked out. I, it was like, oh, 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 I'm good at this. Right? I should pursue that, uh, you know, in spite of my parents going, oh, no, no, we don't know. We don't know anyone who makes a living in the entertainment industry, that you're going to be impoverished, you'll be a- you'll be impoverished, and we'll be to raised- take care of you the rest of our lives. I just locked out. Man, did I lock out. Yeah. Um, m- my son, my oldest son is a commercial pilot because he was learning to fly just for the fun of it. And then as it became part of that, that whole fraternal order of, of uh, wing nuts, um, he realized, oh, there's a, there's a huge industry out there that is in constant need of new pilots and I'm really good at it and I love it and I think I know what I want to do. And, and he did, he went, he, he now goes to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, which is like the premier university for aeronautical training. And he's going to be a commercial pilot. And although he may change, you know, he may learn to love, love other things involved in aviation. But it's a perfect fit. And it was just because he loves, you know, he loves aircraft, he loves race cars, he loves everything that guys like. But he went, oh, I can, I can get a degree in this, and then I'll have a career immediately. Like he's on, he's in the Envoy Cadet Program at uh, with through American. Uh, at the university so it's like he's got a job waiting for him and they'll also underwrite part of his um, teaching time when he has to be an instructor so it's like I kind of feel like oh he he," well as a parent you just go thank you oh because all you want all you really want is your kid to figure out what makes them happy and then have the opportunity to do it that's like that's all you're hoping for is that your kid is happy. And so far, both our boys are, you know, the, the, the 11th grader is still, uh, he has so many options at six, six, and he's a monster in, in baseball. The upside to that was I got to build, I got to design and build. I worked with a welder. I worked with a, a, a netting company and we put a batting cage. You know, our driveway is gone. From the front of the house to the garage is now this real state-of-the-art batting cage. Uh, and I built him a pitching mound. And, um, you know, it's been great because dad gets to build stuff that Aiden needs. Um, and, uh, I get to feel like I'm a part of, of his journey of, you know, and right now he's, you know, it's like, we we call it the dog run because, you know, he's on virtual school and he wouldn't leave the house if we didn't have, and he's, he's, he was on the sports program, you know, the baseball program at the high school, and that's all gone right now. So, um, we really gratefully we're able to create um a place where his coaches could still get to him and uh you know he's still actively a ball player and does travel teams and uh but he's he is also because we're so lucky uh and my wife is so incredibly patient and smart and helps guide all three of us to our goals um you know we're 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 happy
0: and that's not that the, the key right so i think we definitely have to have your wife come on the truly amazing Women show and talk oh, yeah. about what it's been like <laughs> so tell us just a little bit about her and then i have one final question
1: um she's the most beautiful woman i've ever seen and she's um she had uh, every waking moment i'm i'm challenged by the goals and ex, ex, not expectations, aspirations she has for me to always, I, I, I'm a better person because of her. Uh, and, and that's not easy to find. Uh, I, I miss her terribly. You know, I got to go home for three weeks, uh, for the holiday break. Cause I'm out here sequestered. I'm, we, we made the decision that I would just stay here, not commute. Cause I used to commute back and forth. i shoot two episodes in New York over about 10 days and then fly home for two weeks and then come back. And, and um, that just doesn't make any sense right now with COVID. So I'm here alone, but um, you know, this stuff allows us to be much more connected. It makes it much more doable. I mean, we're, we're all on, you know, on a, on a FaceTime chat um, you know, every night if we want from Phoenix to California to here. But being home for those three weeks and being physically in, in their space and then leaving again, suddenly this apartment got a little lonelier. It was like, oh, I'm, but, you know, we're, we're going to be done end of April and then I'll be home again. And I'll, I know my wife will have a huge honeydew list <laughs> and I can't wait to sink my teeth into it. It'll be great.
0: And that's that beauty of the, the balance of, of all aspects of your life. So the, the final question is um, kind of your handle, Omega Sun. I love the, how you've spoken about the importance of family in your life and how that balances you out and keeps you grounded. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So um, for those of you who don't know what a CB radio is, it was it was kind of the cell phone almost. Of the 70s, I would say CB radios are a limited band radios that were primarily used by truckers uh, in the trucking industry. But people started getting CB radios for their own cars, especially people that traveled a lot for work. So my dad's company, he was an insurance claims adjuster. It was Alpha Omega Services. So his handle, as a his CB handle, was Omega Man. And then we had I had three brother, there were three brothers and an older sister. So we were Omega daughter, Omega son one, two and three. So I was Omega son one. And when the internet came up and it was time for an email and I went, oh, I'll resurrect my old CB handle, which is Omega son one. So that's the history of Omega son one. It's actually my original CB handle from back in the day.
0: And it's an honor to your dad. It sounds like. Oh yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. Yeah. He still lives Yeah, still lives in, through, through, uh, through email. Although he was confounded by it. He was like, <laughs> Holy Greg, how do I, what's that squealing noise? The, the, the routers making it, and, you know, he was, yeah, he was still a dial up <laughs> back when he was still with us. Yeah.
0: It's beautiful. All right. So actually I do have one final question before we finish our hour together. What is next for you? What's on your wish list?
1: I'm, I'm going to be 60 in September. Uh, I've got two kids in college. Um, I have a wife who has a great business of her own where we, we live very modestly. So, and she's really frugal. I mean, she's really good with money. So I think we're, we're okay, but um, I wouldn't want to um, jeopardize like to write, to, to have, to go from like 15 years of nonstop Broadway shows, and then you win a Tony award, and then you get offered a job on a TV series that's now in its 11th season. You you pinch yourself every day, but you go, um, there've been some offers of things to do that would conflict with my availability for this job. And Um, I, 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 I kind of just want to keep riding this one until it stops when, when Blue Bloods is done. And then when Blue Bloods is done, I'll think about what I want to do. I don't think I have to worry about that right away. I have a a wonderful, uh, ongoing job. I, I, I'm the voice of pastor Wilson Knox for the adventures and odyssey series, radio shows. Um, they've been around for decades. I didn't know anything about them. Until their executive producer uh, became a Blue Bloods fan and said, Can we get, can we, I really like Greg Jabara. Can we get him to do a voice one of our characters? And they said, Oh, he's actually coincidentally, th- this really happened. They said, Oh, we have him on tape. He just auditioned for us for a whole bunch of characters. And it, literally, it was like in 2017. Anyway, they, they uh, originally had a, we're going to have me play the smaller single episode character, but they had this other longer arc character that they want to establish for, 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 for years they'd like to use. And they said, yeah, we're gonna give you this part because we really like you as this character that that executive producer uh, created. And I've been doing that since 2017. We do a handful of episodes every year. And that's gratifying. And there's, you know, I'm constantly auditioning. You have, the bedroom is a, 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 a recording booth. It's a Zoom booth. I have a green screen. Uh, that, you know, in a, that comes in like one of those boxes that you just pulls it open. It's But I didn't use it. I just wanted to be in my pajamas today. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I, I'm capable of auditioning for everything and do. Uh, I have a, a sound booth. I actually do the Adventures and Odyssey um, recordings from here. We do a, 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 I have a, it's a perfect soundproof booth made out of a bed uh, that I turned on its side and put a duvet over the top. It's, silly, but it works. Um, and the internet, you know, with technology, now my, this, this laptop is a complete recording studio with a you know, a great studio mic and headset. So there are a lot of uh, other little things that can keep me busy, but I'm really hoping to, I'm hoping we get another season on a blue bloods so that just one more, that would be, I mean, I would take 10 more, but to get one more season would just be perfect because I get like three months off April, May, June, July. If we were to start back in July again, I would get like two and a half months off before we'd go back to work. And just to be home for two and a half months and just be dad, cook, kitchen cleaner, uh, sleeper inner, you know, you know, cause our youngest drives himself now. So it's like, you know, my wife will have time together, um, so no, no professional plans yet. I'll continue to do Adventures in Odyssey as long as they'll have me. And hopefully Blue Bloods will get another season. And then my wife said she'd be willing to move back to New York if, if a stage job presented itself again. And I would. Uh, but we have to wait till our youngest is out of the house before we go, you know, doing anything like that.
0: Well, awesome! I mean, what fun! You are a role model to us. We really appreciate you being here with us, Greg. I could keep talking to you. So, I met you at Camp Akiba. What inspired you to be a summer camp counselor in the Poconos?
1: It was, it was actually. Do you remember Michael Goldberg? Of course. Michael Goldberg, who was then camp camp director, one of the co-camp directors, right? He went from the theater guy to the camp director. And when he was moved from theater, he was at Michigan as a master student in theater. And he brought a bunch of us from university of Michigan to come work that summer. It would have been the summer of 70, 70, 80, 82. It was the summer of 82. Mm-hmm. It was my first summer there. And, uh, and then I, and I, I I'd never done so. I mean, I, I didn't do summer camp. I didn't know from summer camp and I was, I fell in love. It was, Uh, you know, first of all, the, the kids are beautiful and, and it's so much fun to be able to be creative with, you know, how many, how many campers were there? Several hundred on each side. Hundreds
0: hundreds and the boys camp and the girls camp. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It was a massive camp and, and, and we, we did a play a week, you know, a musical a week. Right. And I got to, you know, I got to write them. I got to direct them. I got to, to arrange them, uh, design the sets build the sets we did all, all the special events like color war breaks and the the the, the big thing we do the night before a, a visiting day you know there were so many creative outlets um but it was michael goldberg who knew he knew he knew that i was a camper he knew that i had the camp and, and it was perfect because it was it was it was an hour and a half on a trailways bus Ride two hours max from Port Authority in Manhattan to the to East Stroudsburg, and uh, it's how I escaped the the scrutiny of and the, the microscope of being an acting student at the Juilliard School. Every year I got to escape to the Pocono Mountains and just breathe fresh air and and fall in love with lots of women and <laughs> and, and do theater, and it was great. Yeah,
0: it was great. Yeah. Well, we're grateful for it. Every Wednesday night, um, Adam Isidore, we call him Izzy, he hosts a canteen and for a half hour, uh, it's like we used to go to a, the counselors, the older kids got to go to canteen and you come and join us. So it's thrilling to, to connect with you again. And
1: Is that the really- best? Just a... <laughs> It, 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 it every week right we get reminded of how special that time was
0: yeah yeah the magic and the memory it, yeah
1: it's not just you know it's not just us it's like everybody comes back and everybody holds it so dear you know to yeah, be yeah. to be to share that space with everyone where we all go oh yeah it's it's yeah. really wonderful
0: yeah. And it keeps giving, right? It's the gift that keeps on giving, like your your career and your life. So we hope to stay in touch and bring you into some other incandescent stuff. I can see doing a Father's Day episode with you and Izzy because I, I believe you guys play in a band together.
1: We did play in a band. Yeah, we did. We 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 cranked out a few tunes when his father could tolerate the noises we were making. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, we did. We did. We had that summer. We had that. The band that would open up before every show, right? <laughs> the the warm up band, it used to be just his father, who was a one man band. And then Adam came in with his drums and me with my bass guitar, and we were singing. And yeah, it was great fun. That was, cool. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe we should get the band together. Yeah. <laughs> Heaven, no.
0: It's good stuff. Well, thank <laughs> you, Greg. Best of luck to you. Everyone, tune in to Blue Bloods. And check out Greg and then Serial Ratchet streaming. Because I think
1: tonight is a brand new freshy episode too. I think it's a no more reruns tonight. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I'll be there.
1: <laughs> Great. Thank <laughs> you, you so are, much.
0: Be safe. My pleasure. My pleasure. And thank you to everyone who is watching today. We look forward to featuring Greg in the March issue of BeIncandescent.com, our health and wellness magazine. And of course, check out Incandescent Women. And let, I'm going to talk to you after the show about bringing your wife on there. <laughs> So everyone stay well, stay healthy, and we will talk to you very soon.